Hello and welcome to the Philanthropy Impact Podcast. Listen on for insights into philanthropy, impact investing and sustainability. Hi and welcome to Philanthropy Impact's Walking My Shoes series for members where today we are discussing the transition to net zero and the important need for collaboration across sectors for achieving this. My name is Zofia Sahanik. I'm the Director of Membership and Development here at Philanthropy Impact and the person to talk to if you'd like to know more about our training and how to use the most, uh, make the most of your membership. You can reach me in the chat or my email is shared at the end if you are watching on YouTube. As always, we'll be keeping this discussion strictly to 30 minutes, but we do encourage you to use the chat to introduce yourselves and have your say. Um, our chair for this discussion is our board member, Jamie Broderick, who is also the director at Impact Investing Institute. And joining Jamie, we welcome David Hunter, who's senior counsel at Bates Wells, Kate Elliott, who's head of ethical, sustainable and impact research at Rathbone's Green Bank Investments, and Carl Pratt, who's the founder and creative director at Future Planet. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I'm now going to hand over to you, Jamie, to make a start. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Sophia, and welcome everybody. And thank you to Carl, David, and Kate for joining us today in this discussion. So it's transition to net zero, a collaboration between sectors. So, you know, net zero seems to have moved to the top of everybody's favorite topics in the uh, area of sustainability. So there's, you know, I think there's broad agreement that we globally, that we need to collectively decarbonize the world's economies and get to net zero emissions and keep the planet from heating by more than one and a half degrees above pre-industrial levels. So lots of consensus there, I would say. And the momentum is actually breathtaking if you think about it. So the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative was set up in December, 2020. And one year had gathered 250 members representing $58 trillion in AUM. And that's about a third of all managed assets. So in one year, a third of managed assets globally came together and said, we need to get to net zero. And then that group, was part of a larger coalition, so not just asset managers, but also uh, banks and um, insurance companies and pensions and others, chaired by Mark Carney. And then if you remember, Carney announced at COP26 in Glasgow that the members of the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero had committed $130 trillion to net zero. Amazing. I'm still a little, I'm still a little confused by what that means. So does that mean we have a pot of $130 trillion to spend on renewable energy? Because that seems like more than enough to get the job done. And then do companies do the work? Govern governments do the work? Is it citizens? And then in particular, given this audience, um, what does that mean for financial advisors and then the portfolios that they build for their clients? So I'm kind of hoping that Carl, David, and Kate can help clarify this stuff. So let me start with that. What do we mean by the transition to net zero? Do we mean, what does it mean? Is it transitioning the entire economy? Is it something that individual companies do? And then what do you, how do you take an investment portfolio to net zero? So does that mean, what does that mean exactly? Does that mean get rid of all the high emitters, invest in solutions? So help me out here, because I don't quite get it. I need to understand better. And Kate, let me start with you. I think the simple answer is, is all of the above. Um, we need all of those actors all acting in tandem and all, all speaking with a common voice or as, as common a voice as you can ever hope to get across uh, a kind of multi-stakeholder alliance. 
but you're not going to reach net zero unless we see the, the kind of policy backdrop um, being much more, more favorable towards it, unless you see that wholesale alignment of capital, not just where we're seeing the reallocation from high carbon to, to low carbon investments, but also what investors can do in terms of engagement and encouraging companies along the, the kind of more ambitious decarbonization pathways. You need to see it at, at the kind of local level, individual citizens, uh, national level, international level. So I think really it needs to be that, that wholesale step change in, in thinking and ambition and the meeting between where we're seeing those lofty pledges and then seeing that actually backed up by, by tangible, short, medium and long term objectives that really articulate how are we going to achieve this? We know our endpoint, but where, what are we looking at doing in the next five years? What are we looking at doing at the next 10 years yeah. and how are we going to get there? Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Kate. Kate, I should have asked you to introduce yourself a little bit. We know that you're at Rathbone's Green Bank, but we'd like to know a little bit more. And I should have asked you that before you started speaking. So could you give us a little bit of background on yourself and the Green Bank? Absolutely. So, um, yes, as Sophia mentioned, I'm, I'm Head of Ethical uh, Sustainable and Impact Research at, at Rathbone Green Bank. We are a specialist provider of, of sustainable investment services. We run uh, kind of bespoke investment portfolios, all of which have a, a particular ethical or, or sustainable mandate applied to them. And in the context of of kind of net zero and, and climate change in general, it's an issue that really we've been kind of grappling with for, for kind of probably 15, 20, 20 years. So well before it was almost the popular thing to be doing within the investment community. Um, but more recently, really focusing in on, on what net zero means. We announced our, our net zero pledges um, in October of last year. And given what I have just said, that is backed up by our, our medium term targets and our, our implementation plan for, for how we're going to achieve that, not only across our own operations, um, so kind of our, our own offices and our supply chains, but also importantly, across our investment portfolio portfolios and we can talk in a little bit more detail uh, kind of at a later stage in this discussion what that means kind of practically for for you as investors and and your clients and how that you can shift your your money and your your investments to be aligned with a, a net zero pathway great well thank you for that so so david let me ask you let me start with um i want to ask you the question the net zero question but first um could you introduce yourself and explain why your linkedin profile calls you a flawed Earth steward. Hit left field, but yeah, thanks, Jamie. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, a senior counsel at Bateswell's Solicitors. Um, we uh, are the first UK law firm to be B Corp, which I, I mentioned to give an indication of uh, where we're coming from. Uh, a large part of our client base is purpose driven businesses and social investors. Uh, and we have a commitment to positive impact, which is why we. Um, made some very clear climate commitments back in, in 2019. As, as Jamie has indicated, things are moving very fast in this space, so we're looking to, to update those uh, this year, sort of net zero for, uh, for lawyers and people who largely sit in offices uh, isn't necessarily that hard to achieve. Um, but where we think the real interest lies and the real impact lies for law firms and for other professional advisory firms is around assuming responsibility for the emissions related to the advice we're giving. 
And it's something, again, Mark Carney and, and GFANS are, are already looking at in terms of financed emissions. It's something that's happening in the, um, the world of advertising and advertised emissions. And so we're, um, we're very keen to, uh, to look at how we take responsibility for uh, that sort of, of impact, what it means in terms of our relationships with clients, uh, not so much about simply um, sort of deciding who, who, are, who are good and bad and who we will and won't work for, but how we work with clients and, and sort of transition with them to, uh, to being cleaner over time um, as part of and, and using our sort of sphere of influence uh, in terms of both our own value chains and being part of our clients' value chains to get that sort of holistic approach that is the only way really we are collectively going to, to, to reach. I mean, net, net zero, I, I circling back to the, the original question, I think is, is really an entry card for a commitment to a, a sustainable future. Um, and one which uses the kind of the Brundtland definition of sustainability. So trying to ensure that um, there is a, uh, the opportunity for future generations to have uh, as, as sort of, fulfilling and prosperous in existence as, as, as we do now and getting that balance. Um, and I guess the, the flawed stewardship part of, uh, of, of what you alluded to, Jamie, is the, the recognition that to some extent trying is the best we can do. I think, you know, we, we've looked at, uh, again, at Bates Wells, you know, we've, we've been very careful not to say we are sustainable, that we're um, trying to be sustainable. Um, because in the you know in the world we're operating in, then I think it'd be just uh, hostage to fortune to pretend that we're something that we're not, and and can't be today. But we very very much want to to work towards that and and work alongside uh, others to do so. Very interesting, David. There's a couple of things I'd love to come back to if we have a chance. But first, I want to go to Carl and and uh, you know you you alluded to a sustainable future, and I'm just wondering, Carl, whether you could talk to, uh, a little bit about yourself and Future Planet. Uh, thank you. Um, Jamie, uh, wonderful to welcome you, or to join you, sorry. Uh, Future Planet is a community of change makers working to transform organizations and brands. So typically we welcome individuals cross functions, sustainability, marketing, innovation, C-suite. Typically those are the, the individuals that you need to create change. You need those intervention points in different organizations. But we also work systemically uh, across sectors to connect up all the various different points that might unlock systems change. So. For us, you know, connection into finance, private equity, but also philanthropy is fundamentally very useful. If we look at the world through many of the change makers in our community and beyond, uh, we see ourselves as not just being within the future planet community, but all of us are on this journey together. You know, maybe it doesn't matter if someone's transforming ASOS or Nestle or Nando's or All Saints or whatever. We're all working on this together. Is it's really a question of understanding where the core challenges are, where they're shared challenges, um, and understanding where we can support each other and what we may need. So. We're running a program at the moment to support change makers to build climate transition plans, which is their first step. It's going to be required by law across business. So to have them in their business, what, like what is your plan? How are you going to uh, reduce emissions by 50% by 2030? It's, a, it's an absolute target for everyone. And of course, there's other elements around regenerative future or sustainable future, whatever those might be. But this is really one of their key focuses. And what I'm seeing and what I'm noticing by listening to them is there is millions of challenges that they all face, whether that's be access to data, access to resource, all these different elements of challenge that they, that they face to get there. Uh, and so I think our, our collective role is to understand more clearly what those challenges are and make sure that the allocation of capital meets those on a hierarchy of impact and a hierarchy of need. 
Um, and so I suppose what I bring to this conversation is that sort of a little bit more intimate understanding about some of those individuals and what they're trying to affect change within their organization and what they might need because ultimately that's what we should be funding because they can see the problems and they can see the challenges. And Carl, how much of your work at Future Planet is about net zero versus other topics? I think net, so typically someone working in a business has got a myriad of challenges to focus on from water all the way across. You, we, you, you can't unpick it and say, oh, let's just focus on net zero. Or let's just focus on having an equitable future. or Let's just focus on the social part of ESG. You have to look at the complete spectrum. It gets, um, somewhat complex and big when one looks at the, all the SDG goals. And so you have to have a level of focus, but I would say that net zero is within everyone's sort of framework for decision-making in everything they do, should they in everything they do or should be within that in the same way that if we look at it the other way around, equity should be in the, in the framework of how we look at net zero. So it's all interconnected. I think the biggest challenge that we face is are we effectively and efficiently using our time and money to solve the most important challenges and are we doing that in a way that is um, going to have lasting returns to David's point you know are we, are, we, are we focused on that sustainable future or that regenerative future um, and I think having a where my view is now is it's going beyond so net zero is great but actually it's imagining that world beyond net zero what are we all doing to build that world where we're giving back more than we're taking and I think net zero is a pathway to get to there but as yeah. I think you're perhaps alluding to, it's somewhat linear and a bit cold. Yeah, um, yeah. very interesting. I mean, I'm getting that from the three of you. I'm getting the sense that net zero is a subset of a larger issue around system change yeah. and building a society that works for people. And somebody said, you can't unpick, you can't, you can't extract net zero from that whole picture. It's, it's a piece of it. Well, what Remember, is the, oh, sorry. What, what is net zero, right? Like not net zero is reducing our emissions, right? What do emissions create? They create climate change. What does climate change create? It creates displacement. It creates all these other myriad of changes. So it's, yeah, so that, that's, you know, that's, it's understanding that connection between the two. Okay. It's about framing it as well, isn't it? Because I think it, it links to Carl, what you were saying about, you can't look at these issues in silos and, and kind of try to solve each of these problems in, in isolation. But it's also about, often when you approach net zero people think it's all about kind of what will it cost and what will the negative impact be and kind of what's going to be destroyed on the way to getting there and we really need to switch that narrative and focus instead on what are the benefits of this because they are kind of huge and kind of wide-ranging uh kind of what what are the economic benefits the social benefits what are the the kind of those um across all of those different issues of sustainability, how can we draw that out and make a case for why it's almost a no-brainer to be adopting a, a net zero transition strategy and kind of shifting it away from something like, oh, okay, well, the regulation suggests I ought to be doing this to this just makes complete business sense. This makes sense in terms of um, the social impact that I want to create. This makes sense in terms of the environmental impact that I want to ensure I'm, I'm kind of not having that, that negative impact. So it's shifting away from, from kind of siloed thinking to that really kind of integrated holistic view of sustainability. And again, it's point, I think we're going to sound like a, a broken record, but that David was making of, it's about creating a, a kind of sustainable world that ultimately we are all able to live in and want to live in. Completely agree. So I want to, so Kate, I want to press you a little bit on um, 
I want to press you a little bit on constructing a portfolio, a net zero portfolio. So just, I want to zero in on this. And I know you're, you're all three of you are telling me that it's not just about net zero, but I still, when you talk about a net zero portfolio, what are you talking about? Are you talking about, so are you talking about a portfolio that is not exposed to carbon risk? So it's, it's, a, it's a portfolio composed of companies that don't have high emissions and therefore won't be subject to rising price of carbon. Or are you talking about a portfolio that actually is looking to help solve the problem? So is it managing the risk inwards to the portfolio or is it managing the risk outwards towards society? What, how do you construct a net zero portfolio? What does it look like? One really important point, uh, just to pick up on at the start, when you're talking about net zero portfolios, you need to talk about it in the context of the end date for which you're aiming to be, be net zero. So it's all about the transition. It's not necessarily where we are today, but you're saying that we will have a portfolio that is net zero by, by 2050 or 2040 or whatever that target date will be. And then it's about understanding what you have within that portfolio at the moment and what has a credible pathway to be able to be net zero by that target date. So it's not necessarily saying that you have to divest kind of on day one from all high, high impact um, organizations. And actually, when you think about the potential kind of real world emissions reductions, there is actually a case for remaining invested in some of those higher impact companies and using your pressure as a shareholder to say, kind of, we need you to move further and faster. We need you to think more strategically about your kind of capital expenditure, your strategy, how you're tying in climate ambition with executive remuneration and really using all of those levers that you can as an investor or as another stakeholder to make sure that that change happens rather than simply shifting ownership of emissions that will continue and the negative impact on the world will, will continue to happen. So kind of, Going back to then what it means for a, a kind of net zero portfolio and how we go about measuring that, there's really two lenses through which you can look. There's a top-down lens where you um, kind of, in very simple terms, work out the carbon intensity and kind of aggregate that up at a, at a portfolio level, map that against a, a decarbonisation pathway so you know where you're, you're under or overshooting. And then there's a bottom-up uh, portfolio analysis where you look at the individual investments within that portfolio and you look at whether or not those are aligned to net zero and ultimately you're aiming for by your your target date to have a hundred percent of those underlying investments which themselves are aligned to to net zero so there's those kind of two um, lenses through which you look at it and ultimately they move in lockstep and you're moving them kind of hopefully ahead of uh, the, the kind of economy as, as a whole, but towards that, that target date. There's a whole host of other considerations that really kind of within the frameworks, it's still very much a work in progress. This is kind of frontier thinking within the investment communities in terms of how we deal with uh, kind of green financing, capital allocation within the context of a, a portfolio and how um, things like carbon offsets and uh, kind of nature-based solutions for the actual removal of those emissions that you can't avoid uh, will factor in a, at a portfolio level. Okay, great. Well, thank you for that. David, I wanted to ask you, you said something interesting, which is using the law to create accountability. And I'm, I'm, and, um, I was looking at, so Bates Wells uh, recognized the climate emergency and biodiversity crisis in 2019. And I was looking at some of the observations you made. And one of them is that 
you want to use the law as a means to address the crisis. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, we've been sort of... And you mentioned, and you mentioned adv advertising as well. I'd, I'd love to hear what, you, what you're up to. Okay, so, so in terms of using the law specifically, um, we've been working with various clients to try and understand where there are potential um, blockages or threats uh, which are inhibiting progress around some of these, some of these issues. So um, examples are at the moment we're, we're looking at um, the whole issue of, of greenwashing around sustainable uh, investment funds and how they are potentially being mislabeled and what needs to be done to uh, uh, make it possible for, for, for potential investors to, to understand what, what is sustainable and what isn't and, what, and where the spectrum lies and, uh, and all of that and try and risk avoiding a situation coming where anything that's slightly above benchmark is, is deemed to be sustainable as opposed to what genuine sort of, you know, sort of OED sustainability amounts to uh, and looking at whether um, pensions, advice is, is using, uh, pensions advisors are using the right sorts of models uh, on which to give advice to, to pension trustees, looking at whether uh, charity trustees um, should have, um, uh, whether there should actually be sort of um, um, guidance from the Charity Commission to, to make it more explicit that they should be taking some of these these issues into account if they're existing for, for public benefit. So it's, it's some, some of these trying to sort of like shift the frame within which um, you know, sort of people, many of whom are investors are, are operating and using law as a, a tool to do that. Um, do you think, let me ask you, do you think people, I'm not talking about baseballs per se, but do you think people are gonna start suing advertiser, uh, asset managers or financial service providers who overclaim on their sustainability? I, th I think um, I think under, under advertising law. Well, we're we're certainly looking at the scope for for doing that at the moment. Um, yeah, because um, that is very interesting. <laughs> That's a scary <laughs> concept. But but I mean, you know, we, we're not. It's not like we're, we're not we're particularly gunning for asset managers per se. I mean, we you know maybe that that lawyers also and accountants and all all, all professional service providers are, are going to become susceptible if they don't be proactive and try and understand sort of, you know, the sort of you know, that simply by remaining within the pack doesn't necessarily protect you. If actually the, you know, the, the understanding of, of what is needed is shifting, in, you know, in, in the, in the wider frame. Yeah. So, so, so what's happening um, in, in the advertising world is that um, they've, they've managed to construct a model um, whereby sort of, you know, ra rather than in the past, uh, advertisers would say, well, this is great. You know, we, we've done our job really well because we've increased sales of a particular product by a hundred thousand. But if that's particularly dirty products, then you're, you know, you're not necessarily doing, doing a lot of good in the, in the bigger picture. Um, so the, the idea is not simply to say, well, you must stop advertising products, but it's how can you work with clients who are genuinely trying who are on this transition to net zero, or whatever language you want to, you want to provide. How can you help them be more successful, and you know, in, in that transition, and bring your bring your you know their customers along, to you know to adopt those greener practices, if you like. Um, and I think there's, there's there's lessons there. Obviously, it's it's slightly different in law in terms of the direct relationship between the advice and the 
the impact, but certainly in terms of how you can shift perceptions uh, and how you can encourage, and it, and it will work within, within um, professional services as well. You, you only need to get a certain volume of, of lawyers or firms uh, saying, well, actually, that's not the sort of work we want to do. That's not the sort of yeah. that's we want to work with. And then more and more will be sort of moving, moving away towards that, um, yeah, that more constructive and generative approach. I mean, I do think that financial advisors would really welcome more discipline, more, more clarity, more discipline, more integrity on the way asset managers describe their financial products. I think that'd be very much appreciated. I think there'd be a lot of support for that. Uh, Carl, I wanted to go to you and ask you, um, I'm on a camp, I wanna get your advice on something. I'm trying, I'm on a campaign to get rid of the term net zero and talk exclusively about the just transition to net zero, which is to say, I think this picks up on some of the things that you were saying about, um, it's not just about net zero, getting to net zero, it's about getting to net zero, but getting to net zero Along the way, you have to figure out how the, what that means for people, for communities, for um, the planet. So, what do you think? Is that a good idea? No. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think I think yes, it's a good idea, but I also think uh, it's the same as should we remove sustainability and focus on ESG? Like different things mean different things to different people. And once we've built up a level of momentum, we don't have time to argue the semantics over whether we should use one word or one way of explaining effectively they're doing the same thing. So I do agree with you that we should be looking at it through a just transition lens. But I also think that um, we've done so much collaboration on getting net zero on the agenda of CEOs and of other leaders as well. It'd be at this point in time confusing to remove it completely. I think we've got okay. to- you know, Okay, all right, good point. I appreciate your point. But I guess what I'm really saying is that I don't think we should just be thinking about moving to net zero. We should be thinking about the entire package of social implications. Yeah, of course, hundred percent, hundred percent. So you're so we're quibbling over the branding, but you agree that it makes sense for us to be thinking in terms of moving, of, of always thinking about the impact on communities and people Absolutely. when we talk about a move to net zero. Absolutely, and I'm not quibbling over the branding. I'm quibbling over the intricate connected engagement that's happened across all these myriad of individual systemic points. So you're right, you're, it's, it's simple to say branding, but actually it's, it's much deeper than that. And I think the biggest thing that I've noticed in the last year and a half is the level of ambition and permission to make change happen has just accelerated exponentially. And so we need to go with that momentum because we're late, we're behind time, we need to move further forward faster. So I think, yeah, that, that's where I stand with it. Okay, and, and but then I think just to pick up on that point about the ambition, and I think that has been fantastic, and we have seen an absolute kind of step change in the level of ambition that that kind of companies and and any stakeholder is is placing on net zero. But to keep going back to this point, it's about then ensuring that it's grounded in reality. Because I think looking at um, there's the net zero tracker, and they look at the the kind of top two hundred two thousand organizations around the world. Um, last time I looked at it, about 35% of those had set a net zero target, but only around half had any form of plan to, to put that in place. And then if you went down even further into the detail of it and looked at what proportion had best practice plans um, in terms of implementation of net zero, it, it was really kind of in the minority. And I think that's where kind of this concept of, of the kind of multi-stakeholder, the need for collaboration, the need for investors to use their voice, it's about 
holding those organizations accountable and saying, okay, you've made your, your really kind of high profile commitment to this. What does that mean in practice and what changes are you implementing? And I think at that stage, that's where it's really important that we don't lose sight of the social element and that it's at that point where we start to weave conversations about the just transition into those broader debates about, about decarbonization. Because really I see kind of just transition as it's a way to get society as a whole bought into the concept of, of kind of decarbonisation. It's about showing that this is a win-win situation for the environment and for society and ultimately for the economy. Because if it isn't, it's not going to happen anyway. I mean, if you don't bring society along, you're never going to get to net zero because you're never going to have the uh, communal and political support to do it. Yeah. 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 Unbelievably, we've run out of time. <laughs> And so what I'd, uh, I'd love to get a final closing thought from each of you, just uh, something for people to um, r- rattle around in their, in their heads uh, as they walk away from this. So David, could uh, a closing thought? Um, I, I guess I would say, I mean, what, what one thing I'm very alive to uh, as a lawyer is that I think um, that the way we're gonna make genuine progress over the next, coming sort of years is by embracing new and different ways of thinking. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty and vulnerability involved in that. And as, um, as a profession which is <laughs> based entirely on being certain and definitive, that's, uh, that's slightly uncomfortable. But I think it's really important to, uh, to, to go with that and, and be very honest and open about it. And I think, you know, we're, we're all going to be in, in that space. So it's going to be, a, you know, a different sort of relationship between advisors and, the, and their clients. And that's something to be, um, not, not to be afraid of, but embraced. That's great, thanks for that. Kate, a closing thought. I'd, I'd echo that really. And I think the point around uncertainty is, is really important here and kind of tying that into, don't be afraid to be inquisitive. Don't be afraid to ask those kind of so-called stupid questions. Cause really there is no, no silly question in, in this area. And it's a framework that that's really kind of being built as we're, we're implementing it. But as Carl mentioned earlier, we don't have the luxury of time to wait until we've got a, a kind of perfect way to address this. So we're all in this together, we're all learning. Some people may be slightly further along that journey than others, but I think it's kind of encouraging people to, to push further, to dig a little bit deeper and, and really understand of what organizations are doing in terms of net zero and particularly in the context of investment portfolios, um, how that's being implemented out into to strategy and thinking particularly around stewardship. Great, thank you, Kate. Carl. Uh, systems for change requires systemic collaboration, which means getting out beyond your own sector and meeting and understanding what's happening in other spaces and learning and what's best practice in those and perhaps taking that into yours. But I think specifically, if we're looking at mobilizing finance, a lot of the challenges exist beyond the world that's sort of understanding portfolios. A lot of it's much deeper than that and a much more intricate understanding is required. So um, I think getting out beyond the sector and looking at other spaces feels like probably my takeaway point. That's great. Thank you for that. Okay. And I can okay. see John there ready to uh, take over the take over the floor. Go ahead, John. Great, thank you. Um, Carl, um, Kate, um, David, thank you very much. That was absolutely brilliant. And Jamie, as always, a super job uh, chairing. Um, so I'm going to, I mean, that was just absolutely brilliant. 
but barely scratching the surface. So we will be following up. So Jamie, final words of wisdom. And it was really neat to see someone already picking up on your language about just transition. So you're having some impact. <laughs> final words. Well, I don't deserve the final word, but since you asked, I would, I would just, you know, the conclusion I'm taking is that you need to take a holistic approach to net zero. It's not a, it's not a single issue. It's tied up with pretty much every other social and environmental issue. So you can't cherry pick, you know, the climate action SDG or the affordable and clean energy. You have to work with all of the issues, all of the SDGs at the same time. And you also have to be, I think you have, what I'm hearing from these three is that you have to be holistic in working across all stakeholders. So it's, it's not just government or just investors or just citizens or just startups or just lawyers or just scientists. It really is everybody pulling together in kind of a cultural commitment to building a better planet. That's terrific. It's too bad we didn't have more time because there's a really interesting uh, comment from Juliet Bunger. Uh, uh, sorry about the dark point, but how is Russia's invasion affecting oil prices, use of renewable energy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, maybe that'll be for a start off our next conversation. Thank you very much, all. Sophia. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you. everybody. I just want to say that we are um, we're working with Carl on this because we see that there are um, synergies between Philanthropy Impacts Network and Future Planets Network and how we need to be cross collaborating for the very reasons that you guys have all mentioned here today. So I'm really excited that this has happened today and we're going to be working. There's going to be a couple more events going on throughout the year focused on this so that we can keep the discussion going. So thank you very much. Next week, we're not doing Walk In My Shoes. We will be sharing uh, a recording, but hopefully we'll see you all in two weeks, if not tomorrow at our event. Bye-bye.